Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's your host, Brandon Laws. We've got a great show for you today. I had a conversation with Joe Galvin. Joe is the Chief Research Officer for Vistage. And we tackle a number of topics like quiet quitting, which has been a thing over the past couple months. So we unpack that whole thing. We talk about employee engagement. We we talk about what leaders need to be doing to make sure their employees are more engaged. And we talk about retention. I mean, Joe is a wealth of knowledge. He does a ton of research for Vistage and, and the executives that they support. So you're going to get a lot out of this episode, a lot of great takeaways. Hope you enjoy it. Make sure to connect with me. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Love connecting with listeners. And hey, if you're loving the show, would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And even better yet, share this with a friend. There are so many topics that we're tackling that I think can help many workplaces create a positive and safe culture. And sharing it with a friend is the best gift that you can give us. So really appreciate you. Enjoy today's episode with Joe Galvin, the Chief Research Officer of Vistage. Joe, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Brandon, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to speaking with you about all the changes we're seeing and how fast things are happening. Tons of changes. In fact, first thing I wanted to ask you, I was debating whether or not I'd ask you this because I'm kind of tired of it. My LinkedIn feed is quiet quitting, quiet quitting, quiet quitting, and, and people's analysis on that original statement and article. What is quiet quitting? What's your take on it? Yeah, you know, quiet quitting is not new. It has been in existence as long as people have worked. It's the concept of people working to the accepted standards and, and not trying to do more. I think what's happened is COVID forced us all at some point to rethink our personal uh, priorities and purpose. And for a lot of people, that meant rethinking work. And we see that in the, in the number of resignations that we see. We see that in other behavior changes. So I think it got more people to think about whether or not this was how they wanted to live. You compound that now with the hybrid work model that says, knowledge workers, those that can work from home, all work from home. So quiet quitting is much easier to do from home than it is in the office. Quiet quitters in the office, they are the people who go to these meetings all their meetings all day. They're so busy, but they never get a to-do. They never take a responsibility. They're filling their calendar. Now, because they can work from home, they don't have to worry about that as much. So I don't know that quiet quitting is necessarily new. It might be amplified because of the changes that people went through in their thinking and the ability in the hybrid world. But it's really not about the employee in my mind. Uh, it's about the manager. It's about the leadership team. It's about setting the appropriate levels of standards and expectations. It's moving from what I call the industrial era analog office that required you to be in the office between nine to five. And if brand is a hard worker, oh, look, he's in at 730 and he stays till 630. And we have this aura of perception of seeing people and assuming if they're in the office, they're working. And that's now been blown up by the home experience. And that is that it's not paying me for my hours and my attendance, rather it's rewarding me for what I produce. It's moving from an environment of attendance and hours to performance, productivity, and contributions. I think it's a fundamental shift that opens up a tremendous opportunity. I know I've wandered off the quiet quitting, but it opens up a tremendous opportunity to unleash workforce productivity. There will always be quiet quitters. 
that were quiet quitters before the office, in the office, and in the, in the emerging new office. It's the leadership and the manager's challenge to set the appropriate levels of standards and expectations, define the right activities, put forward the right tasks, and measure those outcomes and hold people accountable to it. And you know what? If I can get it done in four hours, but it takes you eight hours, that's your problem, not my problem. And that's part of this evolution to this new digital, what I call workplace 180. Because the evolving workplace is 180 degrees from this analog industrial era, you must be at your desk to work. Why? Well, because in the 1950s and 60s and 70s even, you had to be at your desk because everything was paper-based and that's where the people were. Then in the 90s, we started getting uh, desktop computers, but we were all hardwired into that system. So we still had to be in the office to access the information, the systems, and the people. Then we moved to the modern office, but more importantly, we see that everyone's gone from desktop to laptop, so mobility's there. We've gone from hardwire to Wi-Fi, so the connectivity's there, right? And now we've got the collaboration capabilities allow us to connect with people. So long story short, this evolution to this new Workplace 180 is going to create a whole opportunity for companies to thrive and for others to really struggle. And I think the quiet quitting thing is just one aspect that has always been there that is now accelerated and amplified in this new digital 180 workplace. Personally, I think quiet quitting is becoming a thing because to your point in the industrial age where people are in the office, you can sense disengagement because they're they're present, right? Versus now people can hide behind a computer. They're working at home and disengagement is a little bit more subtle. Like you're just not aware if it exists or not. So, you know, as we make this shift to the fully digital world here, how do you sense the signs of quiet quitting? Well, I think one, quiet quitting begins with the individual. Not everyone is a type A. Not everyone wants to go forth and be all they can be. Um, I think the people that were quiet quitters in the office, you know, CEOs talk about the fact they don't, how can I trust that my people are working? Well, I guarantee you, the people that aren't working at home are the same people that weren't working in the office. They just spend a lot more energy creating the illusion of activity. Oh, Brandon's at his desk. Oh, he's in meetings all the time. I can't go. Well, you're just filling time in your calendar. In this go forward environment, as you move away from the attendance and the hourly requirement, and by the way, the single most unproductive act of any workforce is commuting. Commuting is the single biggest waste of time, productivity, and emotional energy there is. You take that away and it frees people up. And having said that, in this new environment, it's about creating the right connections in the right environment to allow people to do those tasks, the things that they do individually, their work, and then for the interactions or the engagements where I meet with people, maybe one-to-one to a small team, my team, region, company, cross-functional, but finding that right balance of what, what is best done in the office and ensuring in those office days that that happens and what's done best in isolation and creating the freedom and flexibility by role, by team to figure out what that is. Because I truly believe that will unleash workforce productivity, giving people the time and space to do their tasks, but also create an environment where they want to come in. I talk about office FOMO, more than just Taco Tuesday, but there's got to be reasons to come in because I know my boss is going to be there. I know I want to attend this cross-functional meeting. We're doing employee development. Great reasons for people to be in the office. Don't task them to be there to do work they can do better individually in isolation. I agree. I always thought like if you can create these like moments where it encourages people to come in and they have the FOMO effect, like I I think that's what would drive people into the office and you might create that culture that you want in this new world. But otherwise, I mean, employers are struggling with this. Well, you know, they're struggling with it. But I wonder, too, if, if a lot of that is just boomer era industrial <laughs> analog thinking. I'm a boomer. OK, right. But bosses like to look around and see how everybody's heads at their desk and 
walk around the kingdom and survey all the serfs are working in the field? Well, they're just staring at a, at a screen. And when you walk behind them, they hit the screen clicker and it goes on. You know, the same thing happens with folks working from home. They've got these, uh, you know, they can monitor when your computer goes to sleep that you get a call right away. So now you can go on Amazon and get something called a mouse jiggler for 30 bucks. That every two and a half minutes, it'll move your mouse for you so your computer doesn't go into sleep. So they don't think you're not. Joe, you know, this can't be a real thing. People actually do this. <laughs> yeah, go on Amazon, mouse jiggler. Wow. So again, so if you're the boss... And my mind is, oh, Brandon's not a Brandon, what are you doing? You're not in your computer. Why should I care? What I should care about is that you are delivering on your commitments in a timely and high-quality fashion. You're achieving the tasks and the objectives and the other things that we set out. And then you're engaged and participative in the meetings that we do, either in the office or remotely. Now, I've worked remote for the last 10 or 12 years. I could never go back to an office. But we all know that when a couple people are remote and everyone's in the office, it's a very different experience for those that are remote. I'm a meeting voyeur. It's hard to break in. It's hard to be part of it. Versus when everybody's remote and everybody's in their square, we're all on the same plane. So it's finding the right balance of what has to be done and is best done in group settings and face-to-face, and then what can be done alone. And I think every there is no right answer. Every company is going to find its balance. And, and that's really the key to success going forward. And quiet quitting, it, it's just like everything else. It's just been fast forward into this new era of the analog office, yeah. the digital 180 workplace. It seems to me like employers are really struggling to get their people engaged. Employee engagement has been an issue, I think, with the remote work. How can leaders make this shift? If we're going digital, we're going to be in this remote work, hybrid, whatever we want to call it. If this is here to stay forever, how can we make sure as leaders, managers, that we're keeping our people engaged so we don't have retention problems long-term. Well, you know, employee engagement, again, has been around for a long time. It's an attempt to measure and monitor who's engaged and who isn't. Um, I think of employee engagement as discretional effort. It's who are the people that are willing to go above and beyond the specifics of what they're tasked to do. And again, this is, you know, you can connect it to your notion of A, B, and C players. And it's okay to have people who are happy to be in this role and deliver in this role, provided they do it on time and in a high quality manner that meets your goals and objectives. Not everyone wants to get to the next level or move up. In fact, it's much easier for people to get to the next level and to move up by changing company because the demand for talent remains so high uh, that they can find those options. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, the temperature in Phoenix it's down to 95. Well, it's still 95 degrees. I know it was 110 last week. Well, that's like saying hiring is cool. Well, that's like saying it's 95 in Phoenix. And they're still tremendous. We see in our community, the Vistage community, and Vistage provides peer advisory and executive coaching to small and mid-sized business CEOs, presidents, owners, entrepreneurs, leaders. Uh, in our community, 52% have already increased headcount this year. And another 53% plan on increasing headcount in the year ahead. Now, that's additional heads. That's incremental headcount. It doesn't speak to the people that left. Retention rates have stabilized at around 22, 23%, but that's about 2,200 that are leaving, right? So 80% retention, 20% are leaving. Right. So 23, yeah. 23 is the most recent number. That means that everybody's hiring, and everybody's hiring because they've lost people who have been able to take advantage either because they have proactively looked out or they've been contacted to move up. So, you know, you talk about the great resignation. That's another term, like quiet quitting that's been out there. Well, the latest numbers that I saw were from July, and that shows that 4.2 million people quit their jobs. Now, yes, a percentage of them left the workforce and other percentage came into the workforce, but that's basically hiring is it's basically a zero-sum game, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Prior to the pandemic, that number of quits was 3.6. So we're up 600,000. 
10 years ago, that number was 2.1. So it's doubled in 10 years. But think about 10 years ago, we're coming out of the Great Recession. If you lost your job in 08 or 09, it took 12 or 18 months, and then you came in a job one or two levels down. Now, everybody's talked to someone who you think is not as qualified as the 40% increase they got in compensation by changing jobs. 90% of our community identified increasing wages as one of the key drivers of inflation. Because if I hire Brandon and I bring him in and I pay him this, what about the people that work for me for four or five right. years? I got to bring them up or guess what? They're on the phone that afternoon finding the next job because there are still two jobs for every job applicant. And as long as that dynamic stays in place, workers have the power. Should we experience a great recession and massive layoffs and all these unemployment? Then you know what? Then leaders could say, you must be in the office. And you know what I'll say? Well, yeah, I need a job, so I'll be in the office. But you tell me to be in the office now, I'll nod my head, and then I'll find a job that's going to align with how I want to work, whether fully remote or hybrid. And I define hybrid as commutable to the office, whether that's 15 minutes or 90 minutes, whatever that means to you. It means you can get to the office if you want. Someone like me, I live on the East Coast, and Vistage is in San Diego. So when I get to the office, it's because my travel takes me there versus, you know, I'm called in for a meeting. As you mentioned, Vistage, you speak to a lot of CEOs, executives. Is everybody that you're talking to, are they, are they struggling with retention right now? Uh, everyone's struggling with hiring and retention. is Retention and hiring. We asked a question back in June. We survey our, our CEOs four times a year. We asked them in June, what is the biggest business obstacle you're experiencing today? Retention and hiring was top. Yes, inflation came in. Yeah, supply chain came in. Yeah, secession, transition, growth, the usual suspects. But hiring retention remains the top of every CEO's list. Why? Because humans are the fossil fuel of the growth engine. And you need to have people. So every time I hear a big company uh, announce layoffs, I hear a small company go, thank you very much. Thanks. I'll take the talent. Exactly. And again, people choose. Do you want to be in a big company or a small company? That's, that's separate. But it creates opportunity. And I don't see, again, just you look at the broader demographics, this workforce demand is not going to change. It may get down to 80 degrees, but it's still going to be 80 degrees. Simply because the curves of boomers, boomers retiring out, the Zs aren't ready, the millennials are starting to assume, and now it's generational shift that occurred. You know, prior to the pandemic, millennials and Zs were requesting a likable culture. They were requesting flexibility. Now they're demanding it, and they're demanding it because they can. It's classic supply and demand, right? Why is low and demand is high? You can equate that to the fuel situation. You can equate that to inflation. You can look at every single thing. Econ 101 taught us everything we need to know about that. So it seems to me, I mean, if, if hiring and retention are at the top of the list for CEOs, those are two individual levers that they can pull. And if they can get retention right and they can figure out how to have a constant talent pool of people, it seems like you're really poised for growth or sustaining the growth that you need. With retention, like how do you even go about retaining people in this chaotic environment where they're jumping for money or opportunity? It seems like that's the lever we should pay attention to first. Yeah, you know, I, I've always said your hiring strategy begins with your retention strategy. And the retention strategy is based upon, I think, three factors. Uh, one is the culture that you promote. It's the culture that a leader promotes from the leadership desk. And that includes posters on the wall and all that stuff. But the real culture that matters to the worker is the culture that my manager, I call it boss, your boss, that my boss creates. So my boss creates the culture that I live in. Now, is that culture consistent with the culture that the CEO creates? Well, you sure hope so. You sure hope as a CEO that your leaders are pulling that culture through. But we also know that people don't leave companies, they leave bosses. So if culture is important, 
Your boss is even more important. No one has greater influence on your day-to-day work experience than the person you work for. They set your standards and expectations. They inspect your work. Uh, they provide whatever promotability or whatever bonus you might get. They create the day-to-day operating environment that you live in. If you work for a, a boss who uh, creates a, a toxic culture or doesn't respond, you're not going to be connected to that versus a boss who is focused on helping you become the best you can be, has a, a customized and finely tuned employee development program to help you not just do better in your job, but to cross-train you for other jobs and prepare you for future jobs. you got a boss that's pulling the culture through and making it real and making it live in, in the workplace that I'm in. And pause and think about this for a minute. No one's job changed more as a result of the pandemic than the boss because they were used to working with employees in the office where they could see them and talk to them and pat people on the head and have lunch and do that. Now they've got remote employees and managing remote employees and managing those relationships and managing the workflow is an entirely different proposition. So you look at it and you say, okay, how much management training, leadership training did we really do before this? And now all that's changed with all these new skills and competence. What are you doing to prepare your leaders and your bosses to really pull through the productivity gains that are possible in this hybrid environment where we allow people to do individual tasks in isolation where they can focus and concentrate and do it at their best? I work best from like, oh, dawn 30 till about one o'clock. And then I fade in the afternoon. I do more administration. Other people work great from 10 p.m. to 2 p.m. People that have child care issues. Well, maybe they can't work between eight and nine and three and four but they can work before, after. It's finding that balance. And again, it's the boss that pulls it through. And the last element of that, so culture boss, is the actual workplace. And this door swings both ways, both in terms of those essential employees, those that have to be on site, and those that are hybrid. For essential employees, there is the notion of flexibility. There's a study going on in the UK right now of 80 companies testing a four-day, 32-hour work week, and they're already seeing positive results. But for your essential employees, what have you done to improve the environment? Have you painted the place recently? Have you improved the lighting? If they're standing at like a lab or on assembly line, have you given them bigger floor mats? What have you done to improve that? Or what about the technologies and the applications that they use? You know, the millennials and the X's, they want to work with the most advanced technology to build those skills. They don't want to be playing around in some SQL forms-based 2001 thing. They want to be on the leading edge of what Salesforce or Workday or whoever, what that is. So what are the tools and technologies you're providing them with? And what are you doing about the facility? Then where you can... Can you provide flexibility? When you talk about the remote workers or the hybrid workers, now what have you done to create, A, the right tool set to work from home and to be indistinguishable whether I'm working from home or working from the office? Uh, what have you done about setting a, a set of called rules of engagement? You know, if I come to the office and my, my boss isn't there, why am I coming to the office? It's having this notion that between, say, nine and three, it can be reasonably expected that everyone's available to participate in meetings. And there are some meetings that it's going to be a requirement for you to come into the office because we want to do it face-to-face. And there's other meetings where you don't have to, right? If I've got a relationship with my boss, I don't have to see that person face-to-face. We can do that on Zoom or coworkers. So it's finding that right balance between the two. And again, it's all about flexibility. It's recognizing that it is not about attendance and hours worked, but it's about the deliverables and the timeliness and quality of those deliverables. And if they're meeting your expectations, what do you care if I do it in four hours or 12 hours? When it comes to hiring, I mean, that's a, another lever that we talked about that is it, CEOs are struggling with it. Business leaders are struggling with it. Of the CEOs that you've talked to that are having success in hiring, what are they doing differently? Uh, well, one is you have to compete on wages, right? 
money's money, right? We can easily compare, you know, $50 to, to $40 and, and whatever that means to people. So first and foremost, you have to, you have to boost wages. And we're seeing 80% have another 10% are planning to do so. The next is what is the actual job itself? How is it structured and how does it connect with people? Uh, one of the big differentiators, Brendan, is developing the workforce. First of all, you, you develop the workforce for productivity, right? And also a strong retention tool. If I, there's a, a very strong employee development program, manager development program, I'm going to compare that to wherever I'm going to go. That's an important element of it. It's offering flexible hours and schedules. It's creating an environment that people want to be a part of. Again, it's that employee experience of Workplace 180. What is the culture that I'm a part of and does it connect and align with me? And what I value, because people fundamentally need two things. They need to know that their work is valued and respected and that they're part of something bigger than themselves. Be that my team, my division, my company, whatever that is. What are you doing to create a culture that embraces and supports that to bring people in? And what are you doing to develop them? And then it's the flexibility piece. It's allowing me to do my work, provide I'm delivering, allow me to do my work in the environment that is conducive to doing it the best that I can. And I think those are three keys. And again, you know, I, I use it kind of like in the old days, you know, in the, in the 60s and 70s. We had three TV stations and we had PBS and nobody had VCR. So you watched it was on, you had no choice, right? Today, you've got a bazillion cable channels. You've got a zillion things on YouTube. You can record on demand. There is so much choice now. And the same thing goes for workplaces. Every worker has the opportunity to find a workplace that's consistent with what they want to do from a career standpoint, how much they want to make, the value of benefits, the development of my career, if that's important. Quiet quitters probably don't care about that. And then what's the flexibility you afford? And again, because there's everything from you know MF95, that's not a new gang or a new mask. That's Monday, Friday, nine to five. That's that analog industrial era concept to fully remote. And there's then there's that spectrum in between. And I think CEOs are struggling with their desire to go back to what was, which is the MF95 world, and the empowered, enlightened workforces uh, options to work where and how they want. And again, until that inverts, CEOs are going to have to adapt. And I tell you, the, the canary in the mine shaft here, the, the metric you need to look at is retention, right? If your retention rates go up and you're demanding MF95, you might want to rethink that. By the same time, if your retention rates are sub 10, you're in a pretty good space. The key here is as a leader, both as a boss and as a CEO, you need to connect to your people and you need to understand what's important to them collectively and individually, and then create an environment where they can be the best that they can be. And I assure you, even quiet quitters will appreciate and respect that. Any quiet quitter, they're working to the minimum that you define. Here's the standards expectations. Well, just raise that bar and raise that bar and raise that bar. And they can choose to keep up or they can choose to find a place where they can hide. And by the way, Maybe you don't want those people in your company anyway, especially in a small or mid-sized business where, you know, one toxic person can destroy a team or a department really quick. So, you know, is, is a warm body better than nobody? Well, I don't know. It depends on what that warm body's doing. When it comes to the conversations you've had with business leaders or even the research that you've done, what's the confidence like amongst CEOs, business leaders amid inflation, staffing shortages, potential recession coming up, an employee market? Like all is like a very chaotic environment right now. I want to know what are business leaders thinking right now? Four times a year, we, we survey our community and ask a variety of questions, but the same core six questions that comprise the Vistage CEO Confidence Index. We've been doing this since 2003, four times a year. And what's interesting is that if you look at our confidence index during the period of, call it, 2010 to 2020, 
it moved maybe 20 points up or down based upon you know the economy or the election or whatever, right? In the last two years, we've seen it move over a range of 70. The volatility has radically increased. So to answer your question, in Q2 of 2020, at the bottom of the, of the pandemic, right? Confidence index was at 65.5, one of the all-time lowest scores we've ever had. 12 months later, Q2 2021, it's at 108.8, one of the highest scores we've ever had. And Q2 of 2022, we're back down to 69, one of the lowest scores we've seen. So it's this cycle of volatility that's so extreme from, you know, COVID's going to kill everyone to the economy's exploding to, you know, inflation, supply chain, hiring, you know, Ukraine, all these things. Well, we're in the middle of our Q3 survey while we speak. And what we're seeing preliminary is, is that we've bounced off the bottom and we're starting to come back. So I think what we'll see, I think confidence is at a low right now. And it's driven dominantly by uh, fears of inflation. You know, everyone is everyone's seeing increases costs from their suppliers, increased costs for employees, increased costs for everything, supply chain challenges. That is all happening. But I think we've bounced off that. The inflation number seems to moderate. We're seeing the supply chain slowly healing. Um, so we've come off the bottom. So we've been through this extremely volatile period of the last two years. Uh, but I think we're at the start maybe of a new business cycle. And we're moving into a set of new realities. That that Goldilocks period of 2010 to 2020, the good old days, you know, we're not going back to no inflation. We're not going back to sub to zero to sub 1% interest rates. Unemployment's going to stay under 4%. You're going to see interest rates are going to normalize between 3 and 5%. Inflation is going to normalize between 2 and 3%. It's a completely new economic environment, coupled with a new geopolitical environment, right? The safety afforded to global commerce by the, the U.S. and NATO navies, ensure goods could move freely. I mean, there's no Pirates of the Caribbean. There's not even Captain Phillips anymore because once that starts happening, boom, the navies come in and, and that all stops. Should that change, that's going to break the commerce cycle. You know, you had Brexit, which initially broke that trade union. And now you've got Russia and Ukraine and all the issues. And oh, by the way, China's doing its bit to rattle some sabers on these. So you've got a geopolitical shift to go with this economic shift. You combine this now with the workforce revolution. Workers are now setting the terms and conditions by which they'll work. And leaders adapt to it or they'll struggle to hire. And what that leads to is the new workplace. Call it Workplace 180. This digital, empowered, enlightened workplace where those that can are able to work from home in a flexible environment. And those that have to be in the office, you find ways to improve uh, you know, their work experience and, and their work lives. I think we're at the cusp of a really promising period uh, for extended growth. Europe, Europe's going to suffer for a couple of years if they can't solve the energy. China, China's not only got uh, COVID problems where they shut down, but they've got demographic issues. And oh, by the way, they're radically overbuilt and they've got some real housing. So China's going to have its problems. But for, for the United States, for North America, for our trading partners, uh, I think we're going to see a period of improving stability and opportunistic growth for those organizations, specifically those leaders who can be flexible and agile enough to adapt to this new workforce and create a workplace that will attract the type of people that you want to be in your business and will thrive in the environment you create for them. Because of those four things, you've got no control geopolitical, you got no control economy, you got no control in the workforce. The only thing you control, and you completely control that, is the workplace you provide for your workers. As soon as, as long as you realize that they have more options than they even know, it'll empower you to go and make the right decisions to create the type of environment that will not just attract, but keep the type of people you want. 
You know, when I talk about culture uh, like gravity, right? You can't see gravity, but you feel it with every step you take. Well, you don't see the culture, but you feel it. It's that invisible force that holds your good people to you. It rejects those people who can't change or, or don't fit in. But most importantly, it attracts people who want to be part of what you've created. And I don't know about you, but uh, you know, I was, I was with friends watching the football games. And you know what? We're talking about jobs. We're talking about this. I guarantee you, every worker at some point over the weekend was talking to someone about their job. Guess what? Brand is to customer as culture is to employee. And your culture will radiate out into your community. And for small and mid-sized businesses, they're always local. Sometimes regional, sometimes national, sometimes global. But they're always local. That's your hiring pool. That's your marketplace. And that's why um, that's why culture is so important. If I'm a, an owner or a CEO, if I'm going to make it through these chaotic times, it seems to me like what you're saying is I need leaders who can adapt. I need them to be able to flex. Um, I need them to create a great culture. Am I spot on with that? Yes. It's, it, it really, it really, again, you, you talk about retention, you talk about hiring. It's always about your boss. It's always about your boss, right? You know, job matters, right? Better role, better title, more responsibilities, income, right? Income benefits, the tangible things we can count. It's the intangibles that, that flow because let's face it, we make decisions from an emotional place. Then we wrap it with judgment, which is our experience and our knowledge. And then we wrap that with the perspectives we glean from people we know and trust. Hey, what do you know about this company? What do you think about this? Should I do that? You take that, you add it to your judgment. When you make that decision, it's emotion. And it's the environment, it's the workplace, it's the boss, it's the coworkers. It's your feeling of respect, that you are respected and you're valued. That's what holds people. That's what draws people. Um, you know, in 2009, you could treat people any way you wanted to because they weren't going to leave because they had nowhere to go. Now they've got every place to go. And again, to your point, those leaders and those managers that can be adapt and can be flexible and nimble and can look forward into how do I get the most out of this environment versus how do I get back to where we were? Those are the ones that I think are going to be most successful. And, and again, this is not a, a simple thing to do, but it, it's accepting the fact that we are, it's not a new normal. It's not the next normal. It is a completely new reality in the workplace. And just like so many things that have happened, you know, the invention of the wheel, uh, the conversion from horses to horsepower, the advent of technology, this creates a tremendous opportunity to really unleash and unharness workforce productivity, providing you embrace the fact that we're going forward and we're never going back. Great stuff, Joe. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, where can people learn more about you, your work, or anything about Vistage? Thank you, Brian. I enjoyed chatting with you about this. Yeah, just go to, to www.vistage.com, V-I-S-T-A-G-E, vistage.com, and then go to the research center. All of our content, all the research that we do is available for everyone. Our confidence index, we just published a report in June called Build a Better Boss. It talks about how the boss's role has changed so much and how pivotal they are in the analog world, but in the workplace 180, how absolutely critical they are to not just performance, but to retention and to hiring. Um, and all that stuff's available. And we're happy to share it. So it's vistage.com uh, slash research center. Uh, I ask people, you know, you can connect me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter at Joe Galvin, Joe Galvin in, in uh, LinkedIn. I post content just about every day that's specific to what our CEOs talk about. We've got, we have 27,000 members worldwide, more than 17,000 here in the States. Uh, we have members in every single city across the country, an amazing community of high integrity, high performing leaders. Vistage member companies during the pandemic grew by 5% while a peer set uh, from DNB uh, shrank by 5%. So uh, those CEOs, those leaders that are investing in themselves and their development, 
those folks that are lifelong learners. And I think really those that are willing to embrace the speed of change, and you think about how nimble and flexible and adaptive you had to be over the last two years. If you maintain that spirit and we move into a more stable economic environment, you will thrive, I believe. My guest today has been Joe Galvin. Joe, thanks for being part of the podcast. Brendan, thank you so much. And thanks everyone for spending a few minutes with me. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Zenny MHR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.